I think sometimes when we, you know, talk about Judaism race, we talk we talk about resilience, and often the pain of resilience. And this whole conversation was about the joy of resilience. Black joy, black yeah, Jewish black joy. joy. I'm Rabbi Deborah Waxman, and I'm so happy to welcome you to Hashi Denu, a podcast about Jewish teachings on resilience. I'm so happy to be joined today by my co-host, Rabbi Sandra Lawson. Hi, Sandra. How are you? I'm good, Deborah. It's really good to be back. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while since we sat together, and yes. I did a, you know, and I'm glad to pick up again with our co-hosting. Yes, yeah. I'm also really excited, and I know you are as well, to introduce our guest today. Um, we are so lucky to be joined by Shahana McKinney-Balden. Shahana is a board member for Reconstructing Judaism, our organization, and she plays a really important role there. She co-chairs the movement's Tikkun Olam Commission. She's a longtime educator who is an active Jewish diversity and racial justice advocate and thought leader. She's been doing this work for more than 25 years. She is the founding executive director of ADOT, Midwest Regional D Jewish Diversity, and Racial Justice Collaborative, and the co-founder and co-director at TUV JOC-led Culturally Responsive Evaluation. And she's an evaluator and clinical program mentor at Wisconsin Center for Education Research. Shahana is a mother, an artist, and she comes from a large Midwest US African-American and Ashkenazi family. And she also has Seminole, Cherokee, Blackfoot, and Sephardi heritage. Shahana, thank you so much for being with us. Hey, Deborah. Hey, Sandra. Hi. I'm excited to be here just to talk to two of my main rabbis. Thank you for having me here. And we're so glad that you're here. I mean, one of the coolest things that I get to do since I started this job last year is I get to talk to people that I want to talk to. And um, I just, the first thing I want to ask you, Shahana, how are you, how are you doing? Um, I'm good. I'm great. Um, and I'm struggling. I'm still in the Avelut period for my father. We lost him uh, at the end of December 2021. It's been a period of, of great intensity, of great reflection. And um, one of my biggest reflections is that I have a strong foundation. I'm blessed with very strong um, family relationships. I'm blessed by having received a Jewish education that makes it very easy for me to reach for the power of our traditional practices and rituals around life cycle events. And, um, and I have a really strong community around myself and my family of which you two are part. I want to give a special shout out to each of you, Rabbi Sandra, Rabbi Deborah, for showing up for the various Zoom Shiva activities after my father passed away and um, for keeping us uh, in your hearts and, and lifted up in prayer in this time. Uh, it was very meaningful for me to, to see these Reconstructing Judaism faces, to get these notes from Reconstructing Judaism folks, many of whom I've never actually met, 
but who, you know, connected and reminded me that that they're with us and with me and that we are we are in community together. Um, so that's how I'm doing. And as a part of this process of grieving, I've been reaching to reclaim my artistic voice. So you heard in my bio that it says that I'm an artist. It's very new for me to include in my bios that I'm an artist. I haven't done art in a long time. Just getting back to it. My medium is singing. I'm a ska, reggae, and rocksteady singer since my high school days. And um, we just had a big performance on Sunday night. There were 500 people there. We opened for the English Beat, if that means you 1980s people (laughs) (laughs) hosting and or listening. And um, anyway, so it's a little bit about how I'm doing today. Sandra, you look like you wanted to. I know. I'm just just fascinated. I just, I want to hear more about opening for the English beat and what that was like. And um, and, I am, I'm refraining from singing. (laughs) They are my, my high school years. (laughs) But but also, you know, as someone who's, uh, I think we're all similar age, you know, but like this sort of artistic endeavor later in life. And what does that say? What does that, you know, how, do, how does that fuel our souls, our neshama, um, you know, and um, as, as someone who's sort of taken an artistic journey later at this stage in my life, I'm also curious about other people's journeys. And so if you could, you know, talk more about your artistic endeavors or your singing and what's, what's that like? And, and how does it feel? How does it uh, feel your neshama, your soul? Mm-hmm. I love how you framed that, Rabbi Sandra. It's a lot easier in some ways than it was back in the day, and in other ways, it's it's much more difficult. First of all, I have to take a nap if I'm trying to do anything <laughs> at night. <laughs> Oh, and you and, very serious. <laughs> and you, and three, you don't party till 3 a.m. in the morning either. I'm betting. Well, if I do, I just have taken a nap before and I'm drinking lots of water to pace myself. <laughs> um, I started singing in, in bands the summer after sophomore year of high school. And after college and before grad school, I was in a band called Highball Holiday. Um, And it took me about 30 years, but around six months ago, I had this amazing idea, a pun, the most beautiful, glorious pun. Highball Holiday presents the High Holiday Ball. And I just had the idea for the pun first, and I called Mm -hmm. my brother. I said, I want to turn this into an experience. What what could it be like? I, I have several brothers who are accomplished artists. Adam's the one who is a newly tenured professor. He just got word yesterday. Yes, wow. he's a dance professor at Texas Christian University. Our mother says, it's a lowercase c, it's a lowercase c. <laughs> Adam's at TCU. He's a dance professor there, very accomplished Um, and I was talking to Adam and I said, you know, I think I want this to be a performance art piece. I'll reimagine our original repertoire in 
Hebrew and Yiddish with high holiday themes. Easy. (laughs) And I started to imagine and to dream. On March 29th, we actually did debut the performance art piece called Highball Holiday Presents the High Holiday Ball. And it was a reimagining of our original repertoire with a few covers, all in Hebrew and Yiddish with high holiday themes. And it was glorious. I want to give a special shout out to Doug Rosenberg, professor at UW-Madison, and the whole Connie Conference and Connie Project family. It was an amazing experience. And I also want to thank my my folks of Highball Holiday for coming along for the ride. I know that uh, it was a big change from um, what, what we got used to doing so many years ago, but they came along for the ride uh, to support me. And I'm so grateful. So that's the preface. Now, chapter one. (laughs) I was planning this and getting really excited about it, got the band on board, and then my father passed away. And I had to go through a process of deciding, first of all, was I going to continue on with this? I mean, I was raised in a very traditional um, Jewish American Ashkenazi milieu. And I was taught during the Avelut period, no music. And you're certainly not dancing around on stage. No, don't even listen to music, let alone perform. That's right. Unless your your livelihood, your Vanessa, you know, is dependent on performing, which mine is not. Um And so I just had to make a decision. I consulted several rabbis and other teachers, elders, and sages in my my village, village with a capital V. And I came up with a few key values and ideas, one being that my father always wanted us to be ourselves. He was so proud for us to be ourselves. When we were growing up and people would say, who does she look like? He would say, she looks like herself, looks like himself, my brothers. And he was just incredibly proud of our accomplishments And if we would ever try to minimize something that we had accomplished, he would be very firm that we should not do that. And also, I'm an African-American person. Music has many layers of meaning for us. Rabbi Sandra, we're on video here. I can see you making an affirming facial expression. And in in, in the background, I have the pleasure when I meet on Zoom with Sandra, there's Many guitars in view and more beyond view. Right. I can see one, two, three, four, five right now. Two washboards, (laughs) et cetera. 
So music is so much more than dancing around gleefully on stage. I, I use that phrase because there's a, a seminal book called The Jewish Way in Death and Mourning. And it actually mm-hmm. says in this book, you know, what is more something like what is more inappropriate than dancing about gleefully on stage <laughs> when the parent is lying in a fresh grave. And I, I just had to go through a process of making meaning for myself about what I thought my father would want me to do to honor him and his memory. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to, to move forward. Um, a lot of what this project actually has entailed is teaching uh, non-Jews about Jews and Judaism. And it's been a really exciting way, I think, of working against anti-Semitism, working to reach for coalition building uh, around diversity in a way that centers Jews and intersectionality. And um, maybe we'll just play a clip of the Yom Kippur Haftarah set to the highball holiday song formerly known as Ignorance. And Uh, I chanted this Haftarah at my bat mitzvah. Um, So here's a little clip from the Yom Kippur Haftarah set to FKA Ignorance by Highball Holiday. Yeah, I'm just sort of, I'm curious, like, what do you think um, has caused this to happen in this moment in time? You know, where I think you said at the beginning, there was like a 30 year gap uh, between you when you were, you know, singing this, singing as a teenager or singing and performing as a teenager um, and to today. So like, what do you think, what do you think happened or welled up inside of you where Mm -hmm. you couldn't hold it in anymore? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, part of what happened is we're celebrating 25 years since our uh, self-titled CD. So it was partly about celebrating 25 years Mm -hmm. and actually leaning into that as opposed to leaning away. And it's been complicated. We lost our bass player last year to cancer, Jeff Vilwak, Sichrono Livracha, may his memory continue to be a blessing. Um, But I think that there are some key things that I've experienced that have enabled me to lean in. One is, I think, just turning 50 years old. I'm 51 now, and I have had that stereotypic experience where the filters kind of flake away, and I'm caring less and less about what you think and more and more about what I think, or maybe that's not the way to say it, but the pretense is melting away. And I I don't feel as terrified about this coming out as a rock and roller thing that I'm talking about as I think I would have, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Another part is that I've been learning 
some new ways of thinking about feminist leadership. I'm part of the um, of a cohort through Jewish Women's Foundation of New York, and we center feminist leadership in our discussions. And an important tenet of feminist leadership is bringing your full self. I think that the pandemic has had all kinds of impact. Some that I'm able to see, some that I'm not. I got, I I took on singing in a new way during the pandemic, my rabbi asked me to help lead stuff on Zoom. I hadn't done any ritual song leadership in in that context ever. I started helping with Friday evening services, leading music for Zoom shivas, and something shifted around um, my voice, my heritages, and 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 making a contribution to the community. And I think there's also been something about my kids. Yosef is a senior in high school. He's going to be moving out of here soon. Um, and. I've, I've always had this dream of being in a family band. So first I was like trying to make my kids be a part of this. And they were like, no. <laughs> um, but getting to do this and getting them to see me do this and reach to reclaim and make meaning and honor their Zadie in this way that is mine um, has been really meaningful. Yeah. It's a good question. I would ask you the same question, Rabbi Sandra. What? Why now? What happened? Um, Not to be extra Jewish about it, but to answer the question with the question. I, I'm very interested in what your answer to this question is. I, 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 I can't wait to hear. I feel like I was at the, there at some of the beginning, and I want to hear how you narrate it. I mean, in many ways, it's, it's similar to yours, minus the kid. Um, and... You know, I've always, I've always had, I've always had a love of music, um, and anybody who knew me in my twenties uh, and thirties, I wouldn't, I didn't sing. I, mean, I would not sing in front of other. I'd sing in the car, um, and I've always, I've always had a, a guitar around. Now I have a room full of them. For me, you know, like also, I think that I and I, I took lessons as a as a uh, young adult, but they didn't really stick. And I think that having a purpose for playing an instrument and singing has really helped me a lot. Um, as a rabbinical student who went to start rabbinical school in my forties, um, you know, I wanted to learn Jewish music, so music became a way for me to have access to liturgy. Um, it, it helped me to understand prayers that I was learning. You know, if, if you're teaching me a prayer and all that, all that, all those Hebrew words <laughs> don't really have meaning because I'm learning the words and learning the prayer at the same time. Um, it's very musical. And so um, music, I would just create sing song things to help me learn Hebrew. Um, and uh, I even taught a class using a guitar. I had to teach a class in Hebrew and um that put me into a panic 
<laughs> and so I, I cheated, doing the little air quotes, cheated by making a song out of my lesson. And I had the, the words in front of me on my iPad and the words behind me. And I, I sang my whole lesson for 10 minutes, like two chords. <laughs> um, and it worked, like the Hebrew teacher loved it. And I realized that that was something I could do. And then during the pandemic, um, it, it gave me an opportunity to develop a prayer practice, which I always wanted. Um, but I didn't want to do it by myself because who wants to open a prayer book and read a bunch of words to themselves? So like a lot of people, I turned on my phone and... And that practice every day um, helped me learn Jewish songs. It helped me create my own sort of order of prayers. Because um, you can't just, anybody, we've been on Zoom for a while. So if you try to do a service on Zoom, like you're doing it in person, it does not work. Um, and, 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 and now I have this sort of alter ego, it's musician, where I go out into clubs and bars when I can and with my cowboy boots and my hat and sing country music <laughs> or folk music and weave in a Jewish song or two that I that I wrote. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just and I also think, yeah, when you know, Pat, you know, I'm, I'm um, 50, 52. And I don't care as much about what other people think. I mean, I do but, but basically, the short answer after all that is I had to get out of my own way. <laughs> mm. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'll put my cowboy boots on and highball <laughs> holiday will come down to North Carolina and do please that. Do. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things I appreciated about your story and I loved about your story is that you took the ritual that you that you grew up with, um, what you learned, your practice, your tradition, and you thought about it and you meditated on it, and you found a way to use that to make meaning and in a way that works for you. And I think it's really beautiful. And I think too often, sometimes people get caught up in it's supposed to be one way. And one of the reasons why I find this so heartful and feeling is, you know, when my mother died, um, I didn't have a minion. And um, so I publicly grieved by turning on my, my phone and waiting for 10 people to show up on Twitter or Instagram. Um, and then I, you know, I um, said the mourner's Kaddish, our prayer that we say when we lose someone. And people appreciated that. And the sad thing is, um, I also, I need music. I need, I need music in my life. And so people who knew that I was doing that, if I, if they saw me the next morning, with my guitar leading services, people came after me. Um, you're not supposed to X, yeah. you're not supposed to X. And um, I just think people sort of get caught up in the orthodoxy, and I'm not talking about the orthodox movement and the orthodoxy of how things are supposed to be and forgetting that these are guides to help us get through very challenging times in our life that they, they were never designed to be, you know, this is the only way you do stuff. And so I really thank you for sharing that. And I really hope people can hear that and find find meaning in it. Well, thank you so much. And it's only a very simple Google search will reveal posts from folks who talk about actually receiving a heter, a special uh, dispensation from an Orthodox rabbi to listen to music yeah. during um, the mourning period. 
because of mental health needs. I will say that, uh, you know, I became a Reconstructionist Jew in my 40s, really because we were searching for a synagogue to have a bar mitzvah for Yosef, my son, because the tutoring at home was not going the way that I had dreamed it would. And I'm so glad that we found Shari Shemayim. It's been a beautiful and continues to be a beautiful synagogue home for us. Um, and one of the things that that I that is so different for me than the way that I grew up is this idea that halacha gets a vote but not a veto. And I've been challenged by that uh, because it means the decision that it's made is open to being affected so much by who's at the table having the conversation. How are they feeling on that day? Mm-hmm. Who wasn't able to make it to the conversation that day? And um, I've been challenged by worries that that somehow is going to lead to a result that's not as good as the line in the sand that you get from the traditional um, or the, the current ways that folks approach halakha. The thing about that line is I might not like, like it, but at least I know where it is. And then I can make a decision. You know, the, the, our way is, um, has, has all sorts of exciting challenges that, um, that I'm just, that I'm just learning about. Yeah, go ahead, Deborah. You just did such a fantastic job, Shahana, about about laying out what we call in the Reconstructionist movement values-based decision-making, which never happens in isolation. Sometimes it's a community-wide conversation, and you were talking about it on an individual level for for how you were going to observe Avelut, how you were going to mourn. And you like laying out the possibilities and also some of the the risks and the challenges of uh, uh, slippery slope. I mean, it's so, so beautiful. Um, and I think that another thing that's just pulsed throughout this conversation is the centrality of community. And you were talking about it in, in the morning process, and then you were talking about it in the um, experimentation process. And, um, and so I think that the critical correction, the, the way to avoid excesses or abuse of this process is lots and lots of attention to community and to and to making certain who's at the table and to making certain that things are unfolded in ways that in individual pain or anger or uh, jealousy it, it doesn't get distorted but i think that to go to, to sandra's story for hundreds of years now since modernity we've been living with like there is no authority where like if we if we don't think that the story of receiving Torah at Sinai is literal and, or if we don't think that there are consequences, if we do or don't follow the law, then, then, then authority kind of is everywhere. And what's fascinating to me, what is always fascinating to me is that there are people who they might not even, whatever their own personal practices, they don't hesitate to assert themselves as boundary keepers and authorities around your morning practice or around who comes into the synagogue or around who's at that table. And that's the, that's the piece that I, I, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to blow up. Like what I want people to feel empowered to, to go through the process that you went through and to make the decision 
that that you made that really works for you. And I also want to destabilize or shove away the people who are just kind of saying, yes, you're in community. No, you're not in community. Yes, that's acceptable. No, that's not acceptable. You know, I think that might be a really good segue into talking about our work around reparations. So as you mentioned, Deborah, I co-chair our movement-wide Tikkun Olam Commission with Rabbi Renee Bauer. And we have a uh, subcommittee, a work group on our commission that has been working to draft a movement-wide resolution for us on the topic of reparations. Now, of course, the Reconstructionist Rabbinical Association has had a reparations resolution already for a few years, but that's just their resolution. It's not for the whole movement. When we create a resolution for the entire movement, it is passed by the Board of Governors of Reconstructing Judaism, the Reconstructionist Rabbinical um, Association, and our plenum, which is our um, community space for our synagogues. And each synagogue gets a vote. So for a a movement-wide resolution to pass, it needs to be passed by all three of those bodies. Um, The reform movement has had a resolution on reparations for a few years now. And we are working on such a resolution for our movement. A couple things that I want to say about this uh, resolution, which at this time of recording is still um, in draft form. First of all, what made me think of this, Deborah, is this is a resolution that was written Um, by a a mixed group of drafters under the leadership of African-American Reconstructionist movement leaders. This is something that we've not had before. And I'm not talking about Rabbi Sandra. Other (laughs) Other leaders, one thing that we've done a very good job at is bringing in several folks who are African-American, Jewish, and Reconstructionist to lead in different spaces in our movement. A big contradiction to the tokenism. Maybe not a cure-all, Rabbi Sandra. You and I haven't haven't talked in a while. I I look forward to hearing the updates on on how things are going. You're still around, Baruch Hashem. So... That's good. But I mean, having been in these big leadership positions that the tokenism is just kind of part of the job description almost. Um, I wish I could remember what you were saying, Deborah, that made me think of this. I was talking about who, who, who holds Exactly. Uh, who, I mean, who holds authority, who holds influence and, and when it comes from a place of knowledge and building up or when it comes from a place of tearing down or right. delegitimizing. Right. Thank you. I also want to say that, like, I think that if we weren't Reconstructionist and we weren't pluralist, we could have a reparations uh, agreement done. We would just 
the senior people would write it, there'd be no buy-in <laughs> and then it would be policy and nothing would change. Mm-hmm. You know, the, our process of getting as many voices, well, first of all, our process of having the people most affected by it lead, lead this um, and drafting it with a diverse group of people, um, some of them, of course, way ahead of and support and others may need to be dragged a little bit um, but we're all in this journey together and i much even though it can be slow but the end is so much better because you have more people who have bought into the process the process the process is transparent um, and more people can talk about it and in the end i'm sure there still might be people who um who disagree with the idea of reparations, but they can't say they didn't know about it. They they can't say that there wasn't a process that was um, not transparent. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I think. That's one of the things that I, that I, that I like about this process is that, you know, we, everything that we do, we bring in as many voices as we can. doesn't mean we always get it right, but the process is always great. Well, maybe not always great, but the process is, it's a process. Always reconstructionist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right, right. And I will say, you know, Senator, you say we we don't always get it right. I mean, I think, Shahana, you've been a really important teacher for me about it's always a process. It's always about striving. And I think, you know, as as a white person, I feel like my stance has to be one about it has to be a learner's stance and it has to be one that also is like, I will do whatever chuva I, you know, like I'm, I'm presume I'm, I'm going to get it wrong that the highest priority after trying to get it right is being willing to learn, being willing to do chuva, being willing to make tikkun repair wherever and whenever it's possible. And that that's the, that's the, that's the process for me individually. And, um, and that's, and that it's, it's, it's not a once and done it's, right. it's, you know, we, we return to it again and again. I'm going to wind us down, though, to raise up what you, you know, a point that you made, Shahana, that the future is is going to look different than the present and certainly the past. Like, we want to be deeply rooted. We want continuity. But we don't want the sameness. We don't, and we don't, especially because what we don't want is stasis. We don't want it. We don't want calcification. And that that certainly requires investment. They can be really scary. It's also really thrilling. It's really thrilling in the ways that it can energize us and the ways that it will surely transform us. So I think it's a good way to end since we, we've gone on. Um, it's such an incredibly rich and really nourishing, soul nourishing conversation. And I just want to say that I think, I think sometimes when we... Uh, um, you know, talk about Judaism race, we talk, we talk about resilience, and often the pain of resilience, and this whole conversation was about the joy of resilience, um, you know, and being a, a BIPOC person in Jewish spaces, and um, it was awesome, I thank you, it was just great. <laughs> black joy, black yeah, Jewish black joy. joy. And I'm just reflecting that we didn't say resilience one time. Right which actually feels kind of good because yeah. we get hyper-focused on grit, resilience, yeah. mm-hmm. which really is about problematizing. Right. 
the people instead of the yeah. instead of the oppression. Um, so I really appreciate that. Um, thank you so much for joining us today for our conversation with Shahana McKinney Balden. We have links. If you want to find more, if you want to listen to some more of Highball Holiday's music, you can look on Hashivenu's website, which is hashivenu.fireside.fm. And you can find resources also on reconstructingjudaism.org on Evolve, which you can get to from the Reconstructing Judaism page and also on ritualwell.org. And please, please subscribe, rate, and review us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rabbi Deborah Waxman. And I'm Rabbi Sandra Lawson. You've been listening to Hashivenu, Jewish Teachings on Resilience. Shoot, the data, 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 the data